Why do people do this? Because why not? <laughs> I am already skeptical of it. Why the f oops. This conversation always gets me hyped up. I love it all. I am such a language nerd. I love working with professionals. How am I supposed to be a professional right now? I don't know. Because I didn't know how to pronounce anything. Well, basically nothing is off limits here, so feel free to, what? you know, do your thing. <laughs> yeah, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. I'm the only American here, aren't I? Uh. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. I love it too, it's great. Do you exist? I don't know. We can look it up, that's all right. You know, if you don't look at language and go, oops, you're probably not looking hard enough. Okay, a podcast. Hello, this is episode 21 of The Troublesome Turks, the podcast about the things that keep interpreters up at night. After our all-star business panel from last time, we have another first this time around, because what we're doing today is called a crossover episode. We have the pleasure of welcoming the two hosts of Vocal Fries, a delightful podcast about linguistics or linguistic discrimination to be more specific. But first of all, let me quickly say hello to our usual suspects. From the sunlit uplands of Scotland, it's our chief troublemaking officer, Jonathan Downey. How are you tonight, Jonathan? Oh my goodness, that was such a convincing Scottish accent. Please go into film. No, <laughs> no it wasn't. <laughs> I'm doing absolutely great. Scotland has thawed out. It's like that scene in um, the Chronicles of Narnia where the, the white witch is dead and the snow disappears. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's fantastic. I have seen grass. I think I might have saw the sunlight. It, it's, you know, for a Scottish person, it, it warms the cockles of my heart. And we're starting with the pop culture references very early in this episode. Great. And from the equally sunlit uplands of Bavaria, let's welcome our Chief Vice Worst Officer, Alexander Gansmeyer. How are you? Tonight. Pretty good. Hi, guys. I actually kind of was torn on the pop culture references, but I decided not to do an Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator style Thank you for Austrian that. German <laughs> accent thing. Um, but yeah, I'm fine. I'm very happy to be here. How are you guys? <laughs> Yeah, doing very well because uh, I got to spend the weekend with you and a bunch of other Aww. lovely guys, which was nice. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and see, yet again, we have to explain to those who are joining us for the first time that the three of us have never been in the same room together, which great. leads me scientifically to deduce that the two Alexes are actually just one person who's very good at accent. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Which which is a good That's segue to our topic for today, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, first of all, I am. Alexander Drexland, I'm delighted to finally introduce today's guests in person. So first up, a very warm welcome to Carrie Gillen, linguist, linguistics podcaster and card-carrying cat person from the ever-so-friendly country of Canada. That was a lot of Cs. Hi, Carrie, how are you? I do appreciate the alliteration. Hello. That was completely unintentional. It's great to have you on the show anyway. Thank you. Great. And secondly, an equally warm welcome to Megan Figueroa, who is also a linguist, currently, as far as I know, knee-deep in a PhD. Mm -hmm. She's a, we don't have to talk about it. She's also a linguistics podcaster, and she joins us, joins us from sunny Arizona. Hi, Megan. Hi, it's so great to be here. It's funny, it's actually overcast today. Oh, <laughs> it's never we don't have overcast. to tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> 
Can, Y'all didn't can, tell me about uh, pop culture being an okay thing. I don't have any references. Like, <sighs> Should have come prepared. Always come I prepared. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, basically, nothing is off limits here, so feel free to, you know, <laughs> do your thing. <laughs> I, I just want to teach you a, a Scottish word. We have a special Scottish word for the weather being overcast. Summer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've yeah. been to Scotland in the summer. I can definitely agree with that. Yes. Oh, nice. That's we're, nice. we're waiting for global war- warming to save us from the polar bears. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I, I, I was always confused why my ancestors moved from Scotland to Canada. I thought I was like, the weather is miserable in most of Canada. And then I was like, I went to Scotland and I was like, oh. That's why they called it Nova Scotia, because they looked for a place that was as desolate <laughs> and rainy and cold as <laughs> Falkirk. And then they went, let's call it after ourselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think I have to explain the backstory a little bit to, to this crossover episode, um, because when did you guys start with the, sorry, is it okay if I say you guys, sorry, that was unintentional. Oh, that's <laughs> That's fine for fine for me as well. Thank okay. you for asking. Good. Um, so when did you when did you start with the idea of vocal fries? How did the whole thing happen? If you could just tell us that in the nutshell, I think that would be interesting. Well, um, I've been encouraged by my husband slash our producer to <laughs> start a podcast. <laughs> And I just couldn't think of anything interesting. I was like, uh, ask a linguist. You can just send in your questions. Uh, I don't know. And then um, one day I, I realized, you know, that that TED talk, a TEDx talk that I gave on linguistic discrimination is actually really important. And maybe I should, you know, try to broaden the number of people who hear this message that linguistic discrimination is bad. And so then I, I thought, okay, a podcast. And then I was like, well, I can't do it by myself. That's boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I asked Megan, hey, Megan, do you want to join me? And she said, yes. So and here we and are. And history. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How many episodes have you, have you done so far? Uh, 15. We, uh, yeah, 15. Yeah. Great. But we have like a couple in the, in the back can. burner. Yeah, yeah. in the can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because the problem is I think that when you start out making a podcast, I think at least that was the case for me. You think, well, is it going to be enough material to keep me going for a while? We'll probably run out of topics after yeah. episode three. And then, <laughs> you know, when you do it, it's just, well, we should talk about this and then talk about that afterwards. And, you know. Yeah. Oh, and there's then, so many ideas that people keep coming to us or, or that we already have in our head that we haven't had a chance to get to yet. So, yeah, they're unlimited number of episodes we could have. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I someone just, just say- like, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that you guys definitely have the best podcast titles. I think we really need to take a oh, take out of that book. I love it. Yeah, what? Who came up with that? Was that was it one? I'm of a you? sucker for punny stuff. <laughs> yeah. So our our name, the vocal fries, or like yeah, the, the vocal fries, yeah, both, yeah, and the titles of the episodes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Vocal fries name I came up with, uh-huh. but most of the titles Megan comes up with. She's a better punner than I am. I, mean, oh, I love it, <laughs> Jonathan. We should we should have a pun battle in this episode. <laughs> oh John, John is, Jonathan is our resident punster. <laughs> I, I I do enjoy a good pun, but I also enjoy behaving myself. Although it depends. It depends. Um, I was in a, I was in a really really cheeky mood earlier today, so there may be some sarcasm coming. I'm not sure. But also, <laughs> who says that punning is bad behavior? <sighs> Lots of people. They hate it. Oh. Yeah, why, why, what's up with that? I don't know. I like a good well, pun. The, the, Me the, too. One, 
there was a study recently that um, the ability to pun on the hoof is associated with very high linguistic intelligence. Yeah. But I also think <laughs> the ability to do several puns in a row is correlated with the number of black eyes that you get every month. Oh, yeah. I can <laughs> My dad can do it. Like he is the punster. It's amazing. I have a big brother, and when my dad was alive, my big brother, my dad, and I used to pun back to back for hours, to the point where my mom realized this was not a phase that was ever going to end. (laughs) Yeah. No. (laughs) I did first suggest when we were looking at titles. I had a great pun title, but they wouldn't let me away with it because the podcast title I wanted was "Boys in the Booth." Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I kind of like it. Yeah. See, Which, also, the question is: well, Do you spell it with an S or with a Z? That's the question. What is it? Z. <laughs> with a Z. Z. Sorry. <laughs> this side of the Atlantic. <laughs> no. Yeah. With, with, with a Z, of course, just to really wind up the people who can't deal with bad spelling. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ever want to play a fun game, write an email to a translator and deliberately do some spelling errors and drop in some Oxford commas. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you write, they write back for like three pages. It's amazing. <laughs> no, honestly, I, I I actually once had a comma mistake in one of my out-of-office messages <gasps> and I literally had like a 10-line email from a colleague of mine. She was like, I usually don't do this, but I really couldn't help myself. And like, oh my uh, God. Over a comma? <laughs> Over a comma. That sounds oh, miserable. Wow. I know. I know. Um, <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> this was actually a pretty good segue because I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the topic of your podcast of the vocal fries, yeah. which is specifically <laughs> about linguistic discrimination and how you shouldn't be an a hole. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Love so, it. what what are the topics that you've that you've covered so far? Just to, to give people an idea who may have not listened to one of your episodes yet, which they totally should. Right. Well, our first episode was about vocal fry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> which um I love it. <laughs> exactly. That was an example of it right there. Um <clears throat> and how actually a lot of English speakers use it. Probably everybody does to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um and it's not actually all that gendered. Men use it too, but we just don't notice it in men. Um we also have talked about the uh, most recent episode was about Basque. Mm-hmm. So the Basque mm-hmm. people and their language. And that was fascinating, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't know any of that. So that was <laughs> a learning experience for me. Yeah. We did grammar, so uh, you know, mm-hmm. all the I need to re-listen that one apparently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we didn't talk about Oxford commas, I don't think. <laughs> no, but it's it's interesting because I was just looking through your kind of back catalogue, as it were. Uh-huh. And it, it's really interesting to to see some of the topics that actually some of them look like a pro- like a proxy for class and education. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one that really interests me at the moment is, um, I don't know if you're aware of, of deaf people in their struggle to get their languages recognised as languages. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex, yep. just, Alex Drexel just did an absolutely genius episode on the story of how British Sign Language be- became a national language of Scotland. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. And it, it's really fascinating when you get people who are what they call children of deaf adults who have lived in both cultures mm-hmm. um, and their, their understanding of, you know, why is it that one part of my, you know, one culture that I live in is validated and allowed and accepted and the other part isn't, despite the fact that for me they, they live alongside each other. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's fascinating that, I, that I'm now realising that most of what we take as linguistic issues are actually only important because we take because they're proxies for something else 
yeah, uh, proxies absolutely. for race or for class or for gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we realize that's what we're talking about, we're not actually talking about language, right. suddenly the debate becomes a lot clearer. Yeah, it's true. And that's a point we keep trying to bring up is that really this is all about our prejudices that underlie everything. And we're not actually, when you attack the language, you're actually attacking the person. Right. But we don't think we are, so we think we're safe doing it. But no, we are, that's no. what we're doing. And it's un- unfair and actually makes you the a-hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, 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 it's interesting because there are times where, you know, I've had discussions with people saying, well, I would expect such and such from a professional. It's like, right. yes, but maybe their oh. professionalism is showing up in slightly different ways. Right. Um, or maybe, so for instance, what I would expect from a professional in community interpreting, the sort of language they use, the way they describe their own role, the way they deal with their clients is entirely different to what I would expect from Alex in the, the uh, in the European institutions. Right. And yet, a lot of people say, you know, you're an interpreter, you should be like this. Well, maybe you shouldn't. Right. Yeah. So time, we always talk about time and place too. So the context of use, right? So, so for, if you're interpreting one-on-one in a more casual setting, then of course you're going to end up using more casual uh, language. But Mm. if you're interpreting at the EU, the people talking are probably not using casual language. So you probably shouldn't be using casual language in your translations either. I mean, to me, it just seems like obvious where, what, where are you? What is the context is is this more likely to be acceptable or less likely to be acceptable? Hmm. At, yeah. This conversation always gets me hyped up because I think about like, it's, here I am hyped up. Feel free. Go ahead. I, know, um, <laughs> I barely raise my voice. So this is how it's going to get. Um, yeah, I'm going to get out of vocal frying a little higher. Um, uh, <laughs> um, so I totally agree about uh, time and place. And I know it's just a kind of a thing we have to do to succeed in this world. But I always um, go back to the whole thing of who is defining how, or like, what is the professional setting? Who's defining what's professional? Why do we have to change the way we speak or the way that we sign um, in that setting? Um, well, you d- well you shouldn't. But for example, if you're a translator or an interpreter, right. there are, are other people involved. No, so, for sure, for sure. Um, in the non-interpreting, like in school settings, right? If sure. like I, I can't bring my the language of my home um, to school without it being like, okay, well, let's that's what you speak at home, but here's how we need you to speak to succeed, kind of thing. Um, but it's true that when you're interpreting, of course, you have to. Um, I'm assuming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> change to, change to however Absolutely. however the the flow or the if it's casual or not yeah. um which must be hard for y'all anyway like it can be a challenge yeah it can't yeah. always be like i don't know i imagine that in professional settings sometimes there's like uh funny things that happen that aren't meant to be funny or you know sure. all <laughs> All of these little things that can happen where you're like, how am I supposed to be a professional right now? Or maybe or... you're not a child like I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I think I think a, a typical example would be when you have to translate or interpret someone or something that you don't agree with, or maybe strongly mm-hmm. disagree with, you know, oh, not, not to name yeah. the elephant in the room, but... Um... Yeah. His name is Nigel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, so... That, that can be a challenge. And um, as a professional, you, you, of course, deal with it. But um, sometimes that can be something that you have to, you know, process afterwards or talk to somebody about. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, it makes it more difficult, definitely. 
Yeah, I was actually thinking about the elephant in the room, and I didn't want to say it. I didn't know if it was a if we were going to talk about it later, or if we were going to talk about it. Shall not be named. I was referring to a blonde-haired elephant. Yeah. Yes, I imagine that 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 is very hard to interpret. Like you don't want to say that crap that he just said or whatever. That's right. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And, and also, a lot of it is kind of nonsensical, right? Like you Ooh, know what yeah. he's what he's a, a, um, alluding to, but he doesn't actually come out and say it. Mm. And there's a Greek mm. word for this that I can't remember. I've been trying to find it. But anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for this process of like not saying what you're actually trying to say, but oh. letting the oh. listener fill in the gaps. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so he's a master at that. But like, if you're actually trying to translate what he said, it's often gobbledygook. Yeah. 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 We actually did a whole episode uh, about that with um, a friend and a colleague who regularly does um, interpretation for for the news for TV. So, um, and there are strategies to cope with that, but yeah, it's it's a completely different challenge from what we usually do. That's right. That actually um, brings up something really important, I think, and really offensive. That uh, that I'm the only American here, aren't I? Uh, <laughs> yes, this is all my fault. So. <laughs> the leader of my country, um, he sometimes switches into Spanish or he says uh, words from Spanish terribly. I wonder, that seems like an interesting interpreting problem or issue. I don't know, because there's, there was the whole thing and it it goes into accent discrimination too, Mm. where, Mm. where he was in um, Puerto Rico and he was like, Puerto Rico. Like he was doing this really exaggerated, gross, you know, like an interpretation of a Spanish accent. Yeah. And uh, oh, what do you do with that? <laughs> like, yeah. Do you translate the mock yeah. that's inherent yeah. in his uh, speech? Good question. Has anybody ever had that? I, I haven't. Mm, I haven't had it in a political context, but in like... <laughs> Yeah, I've had that sort of thing. I don't want to really go into it. But yeah, where they where they basically just just start mocking other people. And I think I think this is just me. I think if you want to do a good job getting the message across and not just, you know, doing the word by word thing, you have to also do the mocking. Otherwise you basically sure. lose the meaning of what they're trying to do. Yeah. So I think in that context, I would try to kind of ape whatever is going on and try to bring it into German as good as possible. Mm. But yeah, imitate it. Yeah. I was explaining to some friends recently that I draw the line between if a speaker is being accidentally offensive, mm-hmm. I sure. will pull, yeah. I'll pull them out of the muck. If I know they're doing it deliberately and they're actually trying to do whatever and, and they know they're being offensive and they're doing it themselves, then okay, I, I'll let them wallow in it. Um, <laughs> but again, yeah. it, it's a really difficult choice because I had a, a South African speaker once who his way of speaking and his way of structuring his talk mm-hmm. was fine in, well, you know, for the US, it was perfect. For South Africa, it was perfect. In the UK, you kind of got away with it because they, they knew who he was. And so they expected that. In France, it just would have turned everyone off. Mm-hmm. And so as a service to him, I took what he was, I, I realized very quickly what he was trying to do and went, well, how would a French speaker achieve that same aim? Oh, I think they would do it this way. Mm-hmm. But that, that's a judgment call that you can only see if you were right in hindsight. Mm, that's true. Well, that's one question that's been on my mind for a few uh, minutes now. So um, because you said, uh, Megan or Kerry, I'm not quite sure that uh, when, when people sort of criticize language or accent or whatever, uh, it's usually not about the language, it's about mm-hmm. the person. And I'm wondering why why do people do this? I mean, have is there an answer to this question? I don't know. Maybe you have have you come closer to 
answering that question. Why, why do people think it's okay? Is it because we used to do it, you know, in presumably less politically correct times? What do you have a theory about that? Yeah, school. I mean, I think we well, school help, yeah. <laughs> helps. Yeah, helps. School is part yeah. of the problem, yeah. but I don't. Okay. I don't think it's just school. School mm-hmm. makes it worse. Yeah. But what do you but mean think, when you say school is part of the problem? I mean, it, so they, school teaches you that there is one correct way right. to speak your oh, language. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously that is completely false. I mean, even if we just look at the standard dialects, there are many of them in English. There are many or a few, at least in French, et cetera, et cetera. But we, we pretend that there's only one. But even as setting that aside, um, I, I think... I think people actually like to discriminate. <laughs> I mean, we're oh, certainly yeah. taught to, we're certainly taught to like from young um, in many different ways. This person's different from us because of X, this person's um, different from us because of Y. Um, and then, and then, well, we now be, we're now becoming more aware that it's actually not okay to discriminate on the basis of certain things anymore. Mm-hmm. But like immutable things, right? So it's not okay to discriminate against immutable things, things you can't change. Not cool. You shouldn't discriminate against, um, well, you should, okay, I guess there's some things you should discriminate against. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you're a Nazi, I'm going to discriminate against you. Many political opinions, I think, you shouldn't be discriminated against just because you have that political opinion. You can disagree, you know? (laughs) We shouldn't be like, cutting people out of our lives just for one, like, I'm not saying all political opinions, but there are, you know, we have lots of great gradations of political opinions and we should be allowed to have them. So social identities that are not immutable still should be protected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I, I think about this in this way because um, I've been working with a refugee program here Mm -hmm. in in Phoenix. um, And Mm -hmm. that's one of the things they talk about, like you can be a refugee because of something that you can't change, but also Mm -hmm. because of something you could change, but you shouldn't have to like a political opinion. Anyway, that's an an aside. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But so why, why is it still okay for many people? I think it's because it's, discrimination has been okay for a long, long time. And it's only very recently that we're starting to realize, Hey, maybe that's not, it's not okay. I mean, some people always knew, but, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. like socially it's been acceptable for a long time and language stays there. I think because of Megan's right, that's the part where the staying power of it is probably coming from schools and other institutions. Mm -hmm. And and again, I think it's because it isn't, it, it, isn't something that's like, I can't change the color of my skin or um, where I'm from or whatever, but, but language seems to be this thing that people could change if they just wanted to, right? Like, it's okay if I discriminate against you based on your language, because you could fix that. Like, you don't have to be speaking that way. Yeah, exactly. Or Mm -hmm. like, you know, that's why I kind of think it's still sticking around too, where people are like, no, 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 it's okay that I'm doing this because they could better themselves in this way. It's easy. Right, no. even though it's not always the case that they can. Right, or why the? F- Oops, you don't. You <laughs> don't, you don't curse. Let it I'll just bleep it out. Why, 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 why we have a beeper. What do we want to, or why, why the yeah. should that person have to? Right. So. Na- so okay, so let's let's just take English. So are we talking about Americans learning English in Boston versus somewhere in Arizona, for example, mm-hmm. and they discriminate against each other based on where they're from and the accents that they have, or do we yeah. talk about? Oh, okay, okay. It could happen. Anything, yeah, yeah, any yeah, level, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. So people okay. people do mock the Boston accent. I don't think anyone mocks the Arizona accent. It's too. I know that was a poor rare. example, and I honestly well, just pick Boston because I'm engaged to a Bostonian, so I've heard that. <laughs> <many times. laughs> 
No, but it's, but it's real. Wicked. Right? Wicked. Yeah. Wait, I can't do it. <laughs> Wicked. I, love, Bastard. I love hearing it. So, to be honest, I've really taken a liking to it. I love it. <laughs> I love it too. It's great. So I grew up about 15 miles from Glasgow and my mum is English. My dad is Scottish. Um, I was taught uh, at home. I was taught the Queen's English nearing oh, towards really? RP. Then I go into a school in an ex-industrial town in the west of Scotland and realise that that kind of English <laughs> is not going to last very long or I'm going to have a bruised face every day. Oh, yeah. um, but the first question I got asked in primary school was, are you a Fenian or a Prodi? Are you a Catholic or a Protestant? Mm. And it's the, I think when we realise that language is about a kind of in-group, out-group identity mm -hmm. thing, mm -hmm. then we start understanding where a lot of this discrimination comes from because it becomes a marker of, are you in my group or are you someone else? Are you with us or are you with them? Yeah, and That's especially in school, you, you want to be part of the right group, I guess, or at least mm -hmm. part of one group. But it's interesting what you said, because usually I think it's, in my experience, it was the other way around that um, you would speak with, I'm, I'm from a, I grew up in a region that has a rather strong accent, which has a bad reputation nationwide, shall we say. Uh, and in school, we all spoke with an accent, I think, um, even some of the teachers. And then usually what happened was that the higher the grade, got so that the longer you were in school um I, I think that the softer the accent became if i'm making sense and then eventually when you go to college or university usually you would just get rid of your accent because there were people from other parts of the country and you would sort of agree on a kind of standard variety so that was always my impression but that that doesn't seem to be the case necessarily but I totally agree because I actually had that same experience in school. I'm from another part in Germany where they also talk in a very strong accent, which is also mocked continuously. We're actually getting subtitles on German national television, which really pisses me off. <laughs> that's oh, wow. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> Sometimes. But yeah. I remember distinctly, uh, one of my best friends from high school, he came in from um, a big, like a, a proper big city in Germany back into my high school. And I was a country bumpkin back then. So that was like way back out there in the countryside. And he talked proper <laughs> high German and people mocked him continuously. They were like, Oh, do you think you're better than us? Like, why do you mm -hmm. talk like that? Yeah. And that's just the way that he was raised. You know, like he didn't, he tried to talk our accent and it, it just, it did not work. He just tried to get it right for anyone. <laughs> yeah, but he got mocked continuously. And then when I actually went to university into the big city, people were mocking me. Well, they weren't really mocking me, but it was more like an, I was more like a zoo animal, like an exotic person. Like, oh, yeah. look at him. He actually talks the the, the, the local accent. Oh, how exciting. Yep. And yep. <laughs> yeah, and it was really strange. And for me, it was the same thing. Like eventually when I decided that I wanted to become an interpreter, I was like, I can't talk, continue talking like this with people being like, oh, that's so cute. Or like, oh, where are you from? That sounds adorable. Oh. And, yeah. So I was like, okay, I have to get rid of it. But I realized... Um, and this is, again, going to the point that you were making, Jonathan, about are you with us or are you with them? Hmm. It depends on the client that I'm talking to, but you can use those accents to like, hmm. and this is going to sound horrible, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I hope that everyone who's going to hear this knows what I mean. But you can emotionally manipulate people hmm. by using the accent, yeah. and you can kind of like get into the good graces of a client more quickly when you use the same accent. I saw you do that during the weekend. <laughs> I so know. Funny. <laughs> well, it works. It and totally people, worked, yeah. It's... it's <laughs> it's not even just about the manipulation thing, but it's just kind of like I see where you are, and I've and I'm and I'm there with you, kind of, mm -hmm. kind of like a we're yeah. in this together thing. Yeah. Um, is yeah. it 
I mean, I want to get the, the official linguist view on this, but is, <laughs> is it okay when people start using their accent to gain social capital? I'll give you an example. I turned up to a job once. It was, uh, I have my favourite booth mate grew up in Edinburgh and has quite a refined accent. She would kill me for saying that. Um, <laughs> and I grew up in the West and we were doing a job for the Scottish government on deep sea fishing policy, you know, the really exciting mm. topics that we get. And um, the, the guy who was running the event came up to us and went, you're both Scottish, aren't you? And we're like, yes. <laughs> he said, I'm so, so glad we've got someone from the Highlands here today. Um, <laughs> you know, like, big deal, it's, it's the Highlands. You know, most professional interpreters wouldn't have freaked out, or at least I hope they wouldn't have freaked out about that. Mm-hmm. But our possession of, in, in my booth mate's case, a fairly posh Scottish accent, in my case, a fairly West of Scotland accent, <laughs> our possession of that accent actually granted the social capital mm-hmm. that the client was actually glad that we were there and glad that we didn't sound Queen's English. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of me is like, well, you know, if, if someone's going to, if we, if identity and accent are going to be so closely tied together, why not let the people who have that accent actually use that for social capital if they yeah. possibly can? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Your accent is your accent. I think you can mm. use it for social capital <laughs> yeah. anytime you need to. I mean, it's survival skills too. Like, mm. just like you were saying with, with kids and in school and they know that um, they want to fit in. So they'll start talking mm. like their peers, right? Well, the same thing with, with, um, with this, I think it's, like Carrie said, it's your accent. It, it gets a little weirder if it's you trying to put on an accent that's not yours. Mm-hmm. So kind of Except for the more standard one, like right, right, because everyone you know everyone kind of adopts that at some point. If yeah, it's not theirs. But like, if you're trying to like adopt some other region's accent, it can get a little yeah. trickier. Although that's what many actors do. But that does seem yeah. different. Acting does. Seem yeah. Different. <laughs> like here in America, it would not be cool if I tried to put on um, African-American English. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, mm. so that's, that's not cool. cool. Yeah. But well, that happens, <laughs> right? I mean, that's... I, don't, I don't have it natively, but, you know, if because yeah. you know, it, it's not necessarily the case that um, all African-Americans have African-American English or that mm. all African-American English speakers are African-American. Um, right. But so I don't have it. But yeah, it happens all the time um, that people that don't have it natively will use it. Mm-hmm. So Megan, if you don't mind me asking, did, did mm-hmm. you grow up with another English, uh, another language than English as a as a child or from your family background? Spanish. Spanish. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Spanish was your, I guess, first or second language? No. So mm-hmm. I heard it, but my dad didn't speak it to me specifically because he was worried about in-group, out-group. So he was right. in Arizona whipped for speaking Spanish in school. Mm. So um, he did not want to teach me Spanish because, mm. you know, the whole go back to Mexico, um, being a brown man, like mm. he did not want me to have any of that. So yeah. I actually didn't learn Spanish. I mean, I, I was around it all the time. So, um, you know, I, I, I know... I know a little bit of it from just being around it, but yeah, I wasn't taught it because of, because of this whole discrimination against, against Spanish, which is actually a proxy for ethnic discrimination against um, people that are of Mexican descent in Arizona it happens right. Right. and it's still and, happening. And, and other regions too, but mostly Mexico. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean here they use Mexican as a bad word, right? So like they could mm-hmm. be like Guatemalan, um, uh, immigrants yeah, or right, and they'll uh, be like, like everyone's just Mexican. Yeah, you know, yeah. So 
I, I, I mean, yeah. it comes to the same thing if, if there's a running joke amongst Scottish people that, you know, if someone comes up and says, I love your English accent, Scottish people go, really? <laughs> <laughs> what? Thank you. Um, yeah, but I, the, I, I think it's, you know, I, I joke with people that, you know, if I'm, if I'm abroad, a lot of people will say, I love your British or English accent. <laughs> if, I, if I'm in Scotland, outside of the West, everyone will say, it's great to meet a Glaswegian. And if I'm in the West of Scotland, they can pinpoint down to the town where, down to the part where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's funny because you don't realise how specific an accent can be mm-hmm. until you're in an area. And I'm sure it's the same in Germany that people will go, mm. oh, you're from, from Aachen or you're from wherever. Yeah. And it's just because... The, this in-group out group thing is so granular and so detailed mm-hmm. that, I mean, I, I'd imagine in Mexico, people go, oh, you're, you're from there, you're from there. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And people don't realise that we're discriminating against broad brushstrokes when actually accent say, says far more about us than we could possibly imagine. Yeah, the whole in-group um, tensions, they're, they're real. Like you're talking about, like in Mexico too, like, uh, since my dad grew up on this side of the line or the side of the border in Arizona, mm. his Spanish is not good enough in Mexico. You know, like there's this whole, yeah. oh, wow. you know, it's just quite not good enough. You say words um, <sighs> that only Mexican-Americans would say. We wouldn't say that here. Yeah. So it's kind of neither here nor there, which is doubly frustrating, yep. I guess. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we actually have an episode kind of uh, on this, uh, talking about this mm. whole like border right. identity. It's very, yeah. very difficult. And I, I'm sure it happens all over the world in different ways, the kind of border identity. Um, even if it's not like an actual, um, although borders are, they aren't real social construct. <laughs> but, you know, these, these That's of, a whole side rail. Yeah, yeah. These kind yeah. of borders, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what about you, uh, Carrie? Because you grew up in, in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Canada, of course, is famously bilingual, but not the whole country. So um, no. what's the TLDR of that? Uh, or I guess what 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 did it mean to you I guess more specifically what did play any role in your childhood when you grew up Uh, so I'm from British Columbia and that's probably the least French area of Canada all right or at least one of the least French areas so um yeah I grew up completely monolingual English but my Parents were very, especially my mother, very pro-French. They really wanted us to be bilingual and, mm. you know, proper citizens of Canada. <laughs> um, but the French immersion. So I, I lived in this really small town called Prince Rupert, which is really close to the Alaska Panhandle. Um, and that, that town that I lived in didn't have French immersion until I was too old. So my brother and sister both got to be put in French immersion. So they were, you know, functionally bilingual. Uh, growing up um, and it just upsets me to this very day <laughs> that the only one who ended up being a linguist <laughs> didn't get that opportunity <laughs> um, so yeah it, a French is, has this interesting place in Canada it kind of depends on where you are what region you're in but there's a lot of antipathy towards French in many areas um, certainly in British Columbia I saw a lot of it uh, like in- English only this better blah, blah, blah. Mm. And it, it's, it's really upsetting when you, you actually realize how important language is and how all languages are cool and interesting and can help open doors. But yeah. That was so shocking to me because I assumed America had like 
monopoly on being a-holes no other languages i was like no only americans no everybody <laughs> has this problem every country everywhere yeah <laughs> Yeah. It shows up differently. It's actually similar in, similar in Belgium because Belgium is officially, well, trilingual, actually, if you count German as well. And I've lived here for about 10 years now, and I find it such a shame that they don't make more use of this bilinguality or triling- trilingualism um, mm-hmm. that they have, you know, in school. And, and yeah, it's just so frustrating, especially if you have a somewhat linguistic or language-related background. So I completely relate to what you said, Gary. Are y'all trilingual? All y'all? I, 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 I'm, I'm <laughs> That's a good question, actually. It's a very good question. Technically, I, sp- I speak four languages, English, French, Glaswegian, and nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm very slowly adding German, but German is, there's a, a proper linguistic term, German is hard. Yes. <laughs> I, I think if you ask a translator or, or an interpreter how many languages they speak, no whatever oh. i think they'll always sort of squirm because yeah. they're, they're so self-aware about what it what it takes or, or that it's always a question of definition of what it means to know a language to speak a language of course as you know as well because of your linguistic background so yeah. um I, I don't know if i would call myself even bilingual or trilingual maybe in the sense that i know several languages Mm-hmm. kind of well <laughs> but i don't know alex what do you think it's kind of difficult to say right for for us because yeah, we're so aware of our limitations compared yeah. to native speakers i think i mean i guess we're kind of fumbling around with english so that's kind of <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was yeah, a humble brag right there yeah. <laughs> no but, but I, I thought what carrie said was really interesting about the whole french thing and i and the, like I'm just going to, once again, just put this out there. We don't have to discuss it, but I think a lot of it has to do with colonialism, particularly mm. when it comes to mm. English and French, because mm. I've actually experienced it here in, in Germany with a bunch of French interpreters when they had to interpret a few delegates from Africa. And I'm sure that, you know, their accents is right. going to be difficult mm. and it's going to be yeah. uh, different, you know, just like for English, when you get some guys from Pakistan or India or from China, you know, they all have different accents and that makes it, of course, very challenging, but they made it into i don't know if that's what they intended but it kind of felt like that african accent was like less than you know like their french yeah. is less than ours mm, and i'm yeah. like that's the same with canadian french by the way yeah yeah and that's why yeah. that's why I, that, that's why i had to think of that when you mm. when you said that gary yeah. um yeah i feel like that's oftentimes the case or even for for english you know oftentimes when an indian person comes over but english is actually their their native language and then people will be like oh he speaks that weird indian english and i'm like that's his native tongue like what are you talking about <laughs> it's just the way he speaks exactly. yeah that's yeah. just his yeah, yeah, yeah. there's yeah. so much discrimination accent discrimination again once again yeah. um, and especially foreign accent discrimination and one of our episodes that was coming up is actually going to be about foreign accent uh, discrimination that's super cool Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently, the at least in English, the accent that is the most, well, the accents that are the most um, discriminated against are Asian accents, so like Indian mm-hmm. or Chinese or okay. whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's totally true. I saw it. I saw it in Canada. I see it here. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We see it played out all the time in student evaluations <laughs> um, of, of like Chinese professors or or um, yeah. Indian professors, that. right? Yeah, yeah. There's actually a colleague in the UK who once did a, his master's thesis. I actually meant to contact him before this episode, but I completely forgot. And I'm just now thinking of it, so it's kind of too late mm-hmm. to help us. So um, 
he did his master's thesis on accents and he actually had some evaluations going. I forgot if it was with actual clients or the, the other students about um, just their impression of mm. other languages, English accents. And, you know, mm. what's kind of the usual, like French is very attractive and makes everything sound very sensual. Italian accents make us everything sound very melodic. And then they actually said, they actually ranked the German accent in the English language as the most trustworthy. So kind of like no the, the listeners were, yeah, the listeners were actually saying, well, if this person has a German accent, that makes them very trustworthy. And he huh. kind of broke that down into the images that, but he kind of broke it down in, in his thesis, if I remember correctly, that the, the listeners equated the accents in English with the image that the country has yep, and the exactly. it was like oh it's very okay. precise and very yep. thorough so and then yeah. French is this and, yeah so mm-hmm. i thought that was really interesting i mean i don't yeah. want to try it uh, you know i <laughs> i tried long and hard to not have a german accent too much so but it shows once again that it's not really about language it's about you know Exactly. Social status, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, perceptions. I, yeah. I, I wanted to to throw this one back to our actual trained linguists. Um, there's <laughs> a a very common thing that interpreters say to clients, and that is, please do your speech in your native language. Yeah, um, for bringing that up. On the, oh, on the one hand, that sounds like linguistic discrimination because I have met people who at least on the face of it and at least in terms of you know language skills as they would traditionally be tested they're able to do the speech in their native language but I think because interpreters inherently know that language is not just words language is the the impression that you're creating we would rather even say to people who say well you know I can do it in English no problem if you do it in your native language and let an interpreter then interpret that you'll probably come across better and I actually I'm not going to tell it just now because I wanted to get your view um, but I have a, at least one story from my own career where I've seen a company's sales drop because their representatives came over from Italy and chose to speak in non-native English when the next company's Italian representative spoke in Italian and were interpreted and everyone loved them. Um, and so it's kind of knowing, li- linguistically speaking, is there an allowance in this whole accent discrimination thing to say, well, knowing that that exists, maybe sometimes you should almost not quite give into it, but sometimes accept that that's part of the social um, scenario and look at ways of, of just using your native language rather than doing what we would call non-native speaker accent. Yeah, so I think if you're in, in the business world, you know that there's all this discrimination. Maybe you should think about that and consider that and <clears throat> use use an interpreter to help you get your message across because otherwise you'll be judged. I don't think it's fair, but lots of things in life aren't fair. And sometimes, especially in business, you just have to like work with reality. Hmm. Yeah. And it seems if you are in a place um, where you're, you're given or there's money for interpreters, I mean, I could take advantage of that. And I think it also goes back to the whole trustworthiness thing. Um, I bet you people, I mean, whatever it is in our brain, that's like, okay, I trust this person more because they're not quote unquote stumbling over their speech or or having all these pauses because you might have those if you're trying to speak your non-native language. 
Um, so I could, I could see why that sales dropping thing actually happened is you're, you're seeing these people as less trustworthy or you're not following their message as much maybe. And, yeah. and also there could be this a feeling of pandering, like, oh, you're just speaking oh, my language yeah. to make me feel better. Um, I don't know so much about English that might not exist as much in English, but I certainly in other languages, I get this impression that if you don't speak perfectly, <laughs> people yep. are like, oh, you're just pandering. It's like, it, we call it hispandering here, where people, <laughs> with, uh, politicians try to speak Spanish to the, to the, to the Latinos. And yeah. it's like, oh, uh. one thing, Latinos in America don't all speak Spanish. And it's like also assuming that uh, they only speak Spanish or they can't understand the English or whatever. And it's like, no, some of us don't speak Spanish, so we don't actually understand what you're saying now. And it's just hispandering. So, yeah, that's cool. It's just, well, yeah, also cool. Yeah. in in the case of like right now, the 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 dreamers, so the the, mm-hmm. the people who basically grew up in the United States but were brought here when they were children, mm-hmm. quote unquote, illegally. Um, <clears throat> th- there's this idea that they're all Latino, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they're not. Right. Some of them are Korean. Some of them are from other mm-hmm. countries. Yeah. So, um, if you're speaking in Spanish to the dreamers. Mm-hmm you're making an assumption that's completely unfair. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yep. It doesn't reflect. And some the of them don't, reality. don't speak the They only speak English. Some of them. Right. Of yeah. course. Yeah. But that's the whole point also. No, yeah. 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 Right here. yeah. And I, I think it's one of these things where I'm never sure I've been asked a couple of times, guys, have you had this where clients have said, you know, should I try a bit of French or a bit of German? And I'm never sure what the right answer is because on the mm. one hand, I'm like, you know, I'm sort of glad uh, when someone starts a meeting in Scotland with Gaelic. Thankfully, my usual broodmate speaks Gaelic, so it's fine. Um, And I think, well, you know, even though I don't speak Gaelic, it's nice to hear that. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's nice sometimes when British people make an attempt at something that isn't English and even just say bonjour at the start of the meeting. I've had clients say, you know, how do I say welcome to Scotland in French? And I think, well, it's it's probably pandering, but, you know, it's making an effort. And mm-hmm. it's like gonna it, it's gonna sound okay, yeah. and it is gonna be okay. And I'm yeah. never sure because I've heard so much from linguists about cultural and linguistic appropriation, mm-hmm. and I'm never sure where that line is. Mm. Yeah, I, for me, I think you know, saying a few words in the language is 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 a nice gesture. It's, polite, um, yeah. it's when you're doing it too much. It's so I don't know if you guys saw this, but um, the Prime Minister of Canada Trudeau went to India and then wore nothing but Indian clothes the whole time, which was weird. Right. Like yeah. if it was one event, it would have been totally fine. It's been done before, but it was the entire time, and there were multiple different outfits, and it was when we lost a suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> the Prime Minister of Canada. <laughs> Uh, I'm just trying to make excuses. I think he's cool. <laughs> he, I mean, he yeah. flew with United. There are certain <laughs> things about him that are cool, and there are certain things about him that are less cool. And this was very yeah, more pandering. Yeah. And yes. if he'd just worn it for one or two events, it would have been nice, a nice mm-hmm. gesture. But wearing it all the all time right. becomes pandering. So I think there is a line between showing that you care mm-hmm. and and being like, oh, look at how awesome, awesome yeah. I am. Mm, yeah. Very true. Um, I, I have another topic that I really wanted to talk about, but um, I don't know if it's, if it's maybe too much. Um, but you had an episode of, uh, about pronouns, which I found extremely mm-hmm. ins- interesting because that's a topic I've been thinking about a lot and that we've been discussing um, as well, not on the podcast yet, but, you know, just mm-hmm. inofficially as it were, uh, which is just, um, I don't know what the term is, gender balanced language uh, or... Uh, um, non-binary. Oh, non-binary. non-binary. Yeah, because... Mm-hmm. 
See, that's that's the whole thing. I, I, I'm really interested in the topic, but I sometimes feel like it's a bit of a minefield to get into. Yeah. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, because people don't all agree. So That's right. Yeah. But I, what, what, I, what I found so nice about your episode was that the, the person that you had on, I think she was, she was quite they, they, open they. about it. They, sorry, there you go. They were quite <laughs> open about it um, and saying, well, you know, you make a mistake and then you can say, okay, sorry about that. And then you fix it yep. and then you, you keep going. Yeah. And I think that's, that's just a very nice approach to, mm-hmm. to, to the whole topic because it's so difficult for people to, you know, just make that mental switch. Right. Yeah. I, I do think it can be a little tricky. So, I mean, I use singular they, but in the past it was always for, like even if I knew the person's gender, it was just more like the gender's not important, so I'm just right, gonna use exactly, it. yeah. But I never had used it for an actual person like that was their gender until Kirby. Mm-hmm. So oh, really? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. I mean, I know some other people who call themselves non-binary, but I've never referred to them mm-hmm. <laughs> like enough for that to come up. Right. So. Um, yeah, it is a bit of a shift, but mm-hmm. but I think in English it's actually quite it's it's not as hard as it as it is in, as yes. it is in other languages. Oh, yeah. so German, for example, French, I would imagine, yeah, or in yeah. German. Yeah, I have no idea what you would do in French or German. Trust me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know German as well. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think in English, I think that they is. I try to use it as much as possible because I just find it more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, me too. So I don't think that's a big issue, but in other languages, I can really imagine that creates huge problems. And but, I know that yeah. in 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 Germany, a colleague of mine and I, we um, usually try to kind of sort of gender, even, you know, Alex in the bar camp that we organized, like we try to gender the, right, yeah. the, the emails and try to be inclusive and not just because in Germany, usually you have the generic masculine versions mm-hmm. even if you talk yeah. about men and women you usually it just use so the male version and that kind of encompasses everyone so we tried yeah. to like gender it and then we said well that's actually kind of um well impractical in a way yeah so we just well, we kind of flipped it, it for and, a long and now time, made yeah. it yeah exactly yeah. we talked it for a very long time how we were going to do it and then we eventually just decided that we're just going to do the generic feminine term for everyone i love so it. That, that yeah so that felt better you know especially yeah. for interpreting where like 75 percent of the people mm-hmm. working in the profession are women anyway so it just felt right. like it made more sense mm-hmm. but has it ever yeah. come up in interpreting or with with colleagues um it, was it ever an issue when you were working in the booth uh, not knowing you know what to call a person mm-hmm. or how to refer to a person well, well french has this wonderful pronoun on uh, which is kind of like V1. Hmm. Where, where in Queen's English you would use the word one. Um, yeah. That, <laughs> oh. can ju- that can just be thrown in. I mean, I actually, it's not something that's ever come up for me. Um, and, and to be honest, I might end up just going with people's names if I possibly can. <laughs> but it, <laughs> it, it's point, one of yeah. these things where. Um, whatever our views are on the background to that, there has to be an appreciation that language is always in flux. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is, again, comes back to our language discrimination point, as I think most, especially most monolinguals, um, imagine language as a static entity and yeah. are surprised when they get words that change meaning. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I, I still know people of a certain age, you know, desperately trying to reclaim the word gay to mean happy. 
Mm. And you know, you know, it, it, good it, luck it, with that. But, you know, but if you want to in that subgroup, and if your subgroup wants that word to mean that, well, the, the you know our the OED in in the UK is actually a descriptive dictionary. It allows you to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there has to be realization that actually, you know, even something like the word translation or interpreting, they mean different things in different subgroups. Yeah, yeah um, what was that? Uh, Carrie and I talked to someone from Ghana and linguist in Ghana meant the spokesperson for the king, right? Yes. The chief. Oh, chief. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So even linguists mean something different. Mm. And, and yeah. that's the thing. So, like, I know some traditional linguists are very tetchy about translation translators and interpreters being called linguists because most of us if you ask us what phonetics are we think it's some weird thing that you do when you've uh, when you're on your mobile phone it's a phone tick you know morphology is the, the study of a little Uh, plasticine children's characters that's that only works in the uk Um, (laughs) when we realized that that language is in flux and that language is socially determined and the meaning is uh, is is not defined it's actually negotiated Mm -hmm. when we realize that stuff which i think people who speak more than one language begin to get quite quickly Mm -hmm. then language changes we just kind of allow to happen um yeah, it's, it's just, you know, <laughs> language changes. That's what it does. Yeah, and there's yeah. nothing you can do to stop it. It's, right. it's so frustrating I, to have the same arguments over yeah. and over and over again about, mm. say, the word literally, which has meant <laughs> in, um, t- uh, to a large amount or like in- like an intensifier for hundreds of years, yeah. since yes. 1706 at least, it has meant that. <laughs> yes. So if you're if you're trying to force literally to only mean in a literal sense, hmm. ah, there's like hundreds of years too late, so stop it. <laughs> so now I wonder, how do you all interpret that? Do you have different, like, do you kind of see what they mean if they mean it like literally yeah. like, uh, yeah, do yeah. you, you have, okay. Yeah, as an intensifier versus... Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it obviously depends on the context. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, please don't that light no. already. No. This is cliche in the end. No, that's the easy way. No, but usually it's actually quite uh, quite clear, or it should be quite clear yeah. from, from... It's what always clear. On. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and okay. even if you can, you know, communicate it word by word, you still just do it with inflection or something along those lines. So you do get it across. But... Um, I just wanted to get back to the gender language thing because I, mm-hmm. I actually listened to another podcast the other day and it was the, hang on, just let me look this up real quick, the NPR, Lost in Translation one, on the power of language to shape how we view the world. And there was this Russian linguist on there who was talking about her, obviously I forgot her name, naturally. We can look um, it up. that's all right. <laughs> I, I, yeah, well, um, and she was talking about her studies in the US because she came over as a young child and she actually invented a fake language where they just assigned genders to certain words and said, okay, this is going to be this and this is going to be that. And then they asked people to describe the nouns. And depending on whether it was a man or a, or, or a woman, um, people contributed these sorts of traits to these made up words. But it was really interesting because first they did it, they did it with monolingual people who grew up with a gendered language where mm-hmm. the words were the oh, opposite. Yeah gender and then they did it for people for example like with english where it's just the chair and the couch and the table and, and that's bridge it and stuff like that yeah yeah exactly and so i thought that was really um that was really interesting i forgot what her point was about um people who already 
speak a gender language like Spanish, Italian, or French, um, for them, it was much easier to understand. But I think English people, if I remember correctly, they were quite struggling with the concept of like a female chair or like a male bridge. And they didn't quite, for them, it was just hard as grasp. I'm probably getting it all mixed up. Yeah, no, because you have those associations. I I think if I remember correctly, if you say Le Pont, which is, you know, a masculine bridge, you would think of a bridge as strong strong and stable. Whereas when you say it's Die Brücke, which is feminine, you would think of an an architecturally beautiful bridge or stuff like that. Yeah. Something along uh, those lines, yeah. Uh, I've always found this. Women, um, <laughs> women are both strong and architecturally beautiful. Yeah, it's just it's wrong on so many levels, right? <laughs> yeah, women can push out babies. At least many of us can. Yeah, uh, that that takes a lot of strength. But anyway, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I came to I came to the conclusion after the birth of our first child that women are tougher than any male marine that you could ever come across. <laughs> Because, you know, Marines do sleep deprivation training for about a week at a time. (laughs) Women with a newborn, it's about a year. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Good point. So the woman's name is Lyra Boroditsky. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I find it fascinating how when linguists do research on associations, they will often use invented languages. And it's like, you know, there's a joke in speculative grammarian about the only good grammaticality judgment is my grammaticality judgment. and I think that this is the, I, I'm a field researcher, so I am a little bit skeptical of lab research, not in in general, but often I think lab research finds things which yeah, maybe it's just a result of it being in the lab. But I, I do wonder if you were to, you know, get German people, monolingual Germans to draw a bridge and talk about bridges and French people to do the same, would there actually be that much of a difference? Because I think, you know, the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis, which yeah. underlines this Bingo. language <laughs> determines your world, a lot of linguists are very, very sceptical stroke cynical about it. Yep. And I think it, yeah. it, makes better headla- it's, it makes far better headlines than it makes good science. I totally 100% agree. Now, I haven't seen this particular research, but I am already sceptical of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, she, she's done work on this kind of stuff before. I've always found it problematic. It's mm. not, and maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> but I just, I, that's, it's a bizarre way of looking at the world. And yeah, the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis is either obviously true in the sense that it has a very, like you do have, a, it, the way that you, or the language that you use does have some effect on the way that you think. I mean, I think that has to mm. be trivially true or yeah. else it's completely determinative, which is to me, completely improbable yeah Mm -hmm. then you can never learn a new concept like you're trapped in the language you already have i just that would be so terrible word for it one of the biggest problems for sapir wharf my um translation theory lecture was a guy called ian mason who did our first six weeks on things that people think about translation and interpreting that are absolutely wrong (laughs) and why they're wrong and it was really good because it means that you can have better conversations with people and one of the things he said was research into bilingualism suggests that if sapir wharf is correct bilinguals have two brains yeah (laughs) But but this is the problem. And again, it comes back to language discrimination, what we think about language. We are... I think monolingual people, especially, and even some bilinguals, want Sapir-Whorf to be true because it then gives some foundation to the fact that if you speak with a German accent, 
we somehow think you're more cold calculating yep. and logical. Whereas mm-hmm. my experience has been that the Germans that I've met have been some of the friendliest people I've ever met. Oh, yeah, but absolutely. no one associates you're that pandering. with you. It's completely, I was just going to agree with you, Jonathan, yeah. because I actually have met, you know, some interpreters here in Germany that have French or Italian in their languages. And, you know, when they're late, they're like, oh, I can't help it. My language is Italian. I just can't help being late. And <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, no. oh my God. Yeah. No, I, no, no. Although I, I might try that. I might. <laughs> <laughs> my Spanish is interfering. I'll allow it. Yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> But, you know, one of the biggest shocks that people have is when I, they hear my accent, although I still say I don't have an accent as everyone else who speaks funny. (laughs) People hear my accent and automatically want to give me alcohol. And when I explain that I'm Scottish and teetotal, Oh like, wow! I, I've gone to translate, you know, I've gone to translation conferences with people who know about culture and stuff, and I say, "Yeah, I'm a teetotal Scotsman." And I had one translator say to me, "Do you exist?" <laughs> That's not wow, we're really philosophical here. <laughs> yeah, but but this is even in people in the heads of people who should know better. There is a theory that I read somewhere that everyone is a little bit racist; they're just not aware of it yet. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And although I find that that massively offensive, and I did one of the tests, and I actually found out that I was whatever the opposite of that was. (laughs) Um, So I I, I slightly, apparently, I'm slight, according to one of the tests, I slightly slightly anti-white discriminate, which is really bizarre. Um, But they, you know, although that offends me, I can understand where it comes from. Uh Um, And actually, some of the people who who give you the, the... worst stereotypes are interpreters but as one of my colleagues said that's because some stereotypes have some truth in them Mm -hmm. so you know it's kind of like what do you do with it um yeah and and maybe (laughs) well sometimes a stereotype also helps you navigate a situation you know just to get a first impression and you know feel the temperature of the room and then but you still have to be open to you know be proven wrong hopefully yeah also stereotypes help you i think like if you walk into a room and you're like, okay, there's a bunch of Americans, then maybe you know how you're supposed to talk to them <laughs> versus you walk into a room and there's a bunch how? of English people yeah, and you know how, how they're supposed to talk very, to them. How? How do you well, talk I just loudly. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like you don't say how do you do to a bunch of Americans. That sounds so bizarre. Yeah. That's what I mean. like. So there's a stereotype <laughs> of how Americans talk to each other, and I think sure. you know that's mostly ish. <laughs> well, regionally true or yeah. <laughs> racially true. But, or- but by the same token, I wonder if people start feeling like they have to live up to stereotypes. So as an interpreter, oh, yeah. one of the stereotypes that we have is that American speakers speak in a certain way, you know, brash, outspoken, very self-confident, quite big on the on the, the body language. And the weird thing is, is that if you get like a couple of speakers from the same area, you, you sometimes can see people going, well, maybe that's how I'm supposed to speak. Hmm. Um, and I wonder if like the stereotype become a cultural determiner. Um, so I, I was recently reading an article by an Italian interpreter saying, you know, I'm an Italian and I can speak quite well if my hands are tied behind my back. back thank you. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, but there is something about, again, it's maybe this in-group thing of we see the discrimination, we don't like it, we don't like the stereotypes, but if the person in front of us acts like a stereotypical American and we're American, we might try and fit in with that 
subconsciously because that's what we've seen as the archetype. I, I think that definitely goes back to just survival skills. Not even It doesn't mm. even feel like you're going to get hurt or anything mm. physical bad, physically mm. bad is going to happen to you, but you're just like, I need to fit in with my environment. And mm. I think that's, that's pretty, pretty, a pretty human thing to do. Mm. Um, but yeah, this is stereotype of American. All I'm I, like, I have it too. But when I think of it, I think of a man always, it's always a man. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> 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 yep. yep. And of course there are a ton of men in America that are overly confident and like stick their chest out when they speak and talk really loudly over you. Like, we have them too. But that's, yeah, I was yeah. going to say, I was just going to say, but that's just men everywhere sometimes. True. But I think, yeah. but I think <laughs> stereotyping here. <laughs> but I think American culture wants that, right? So right. It, it rewards that kind of behavior. So I do think it is more common mm-hmm. in the United States and in other countries that are, have different values. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Well, not, yeah. Because in Canada, that's not as, a, it's not as prominent. It's not as looked well upon to okay. be too confident. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the stereotype of Canadians of the they say sorry after absolutely everything. <laughs> um, or if you run I, into uh, into uh, someone else, you're it, it's no sorry. Someone runs into you and you apologize. Yeah, you say sorry. But the Brits do real. that. As, do they do that as well? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe not in Glasgow. <laughs> but... <laughs> well, they, they they do that in Glasgow. Well, you also you also have. I mean, Scottish and British coexist in weird ways that I won't go into but there is a thing of if, if you're in the UK and you hold the door open for someone and then you realize that they're slightly too far back mm. and you have to stand waiting so awkward yeah. you, or the other oh, one is yeah. who goes first in a queue uh, you know you first oh no no you no 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 really you I'm sure we've actually started wars because over who needed to go first in the queue yeah. um and it, and it gets really bad because nowadays with the whole um people looking at rethinking gender roles and whatever if as a man in the uk you open the door for a woman you're like am i going to be thanked or slapped i'm not (laughs) entirely sure here but you know you should be doing that for everyone yeah but again it's this i don't know how we got into that but again it's it's, um, hashtag tangent but but i think language exists as part of social context that's my senior supervisor my senior phd supervisor was always in you know there's no such thing as decontextualized language. Again, it's why I'm so skeptical of a lot of lab work on linguistics and especially sociolinguistics and meaning because meaning doesn't exist unless there's a context for it to take place in. I mean, so, okay, so the, some of the lab work that, at least for a first language acquisition, I think I has actually been say, very well done. I, I so, do lab work in first language acquisition. <laughs> Feel free to jump in here, Megan. But like the, la- the really old... Uh, experiment of like the WUG test I think that was really well done and you can do it mm-hmm. to any child and they will give you the exact same results so I think lab work can be good yeah. can we mm. just for for all the listeners because obviously yeah, we don't really know what that is can we just oh, yeah, explain the for, <laughs> what's the WUG test yeah. so you have a picture of a creature um I, I don't even know how to it describe it like it's kind of bird like yeah a yeah. big fat bird yeah very two-dimensional <laughs> like in Sesame Street yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, yeah, but two-dimensional. Yeah. Oh, like two-dimensional. Okay. Sesame Street with two-dimensional. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What is happening like here? Shape, like more like a shape, you know, like yes. a geometric yeah. shape that looks like a bird. Anyway, yeah. this is a wug. Now there are two. There are two wugs. And then right. the child, yeah, the child fills in wugs. 
Every right. single time. Wow. Oh, the time wow. Not a pluralize. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, lab work can be good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> replicate, right? Just for right. sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, some some la- uh, lab researchers are garbage, of course. Yes. Because there's mm. garbage human beings everywhere and everything. <laughs> <laughs> but- <laughs> I'm in love with you people. <laughs> But, yeah. um, yeah. I'm also oddly impressed by the WUGS test. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> it's so simple. Yeah. It's simple, but so perfect. Yes. <laughs> and Look I got it, it right, too. <laughs> and do it with your kids if you have little tiny ones or any kids around. <laughs> Not any kids around. There's some that are learning English. <laughs> yeah. But you could do the yeah. same thing in your language, too, yeah. right? So yeah. You, yeah. there's like a pattern of. of of plural, like if they're different yeah. plurals, yeah. And, and they did it with the past tense, like this is a Dax or whatever. Yeah. What is it? Uh, how do you yeah. do this? Da- this da- uh, we hmm, how do you do the present tense? We are Daxing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yesterday we Dax. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so idea. kids can do that too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I I think I mean I. I, I am slightly critical of lab work, but I mean, as, as a field researcher, if if we say everything, even labs are social situations, I'm happy when lab people say, you know, we set up this situation and it was a constructed social situation, then I'm like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, I'm coming from the background of a lot of lab work and interpreting has assumed that what interpreters are doing is taking purely, if you like, lexico-semantic information in language A and turning it into lexico-semantic information in language B. And there's no reference to intentions, there's no reference to purpose, um, there's no reference to, you know, this. there's this entire setting around language A and language B. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this comes back to almost a point that we made right at the beginning is that language is a proxy for a thousand other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I you know, my, my motto, which is becoming a bit of a cliche, is when I started out as an interpreter, I thought interpreting was language skills with people attached. I'm now convinced that it's people skills with language attached. Um, and through those eyes, I'm beginning to see that actually even some of the things that we look at as terminological decisions are actually social decisions. A classic one, um, we were... I was interpreting with a group of interpreters at a, a truck factory <laughs> and my poor German colleagues had spent, I don't know how long, memorizing the German for a dumper truck, which, which being German has a few se- uh, syllables in it. And after four <laughs> days... Yeah, <laughs> but an accurate one. Yeah, an accurate one. So, uh, after four days of trampling through mud after these trucks and in horrendous conditions, at the end of it, the German delegate said, "Oh, we just say the dumper." Nice. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. "That so is not a terminological thing. That's a social thing." Yeah. Probably. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think we should do some lab research on this. Yeah, <laughs> good point. <laughs> good point. Good point. <laughs> Hang on, what was I going to say? A new oh, topic. Yeah. Right, so, it. Yeah, yeah, so, right, so the new topic. And I wonder if this is actually a good segue into code switching, because I don't think what Jonathan was describing was necessarily code switching. I think that was just a weird oh, logical thing for that particular German delegate. But he has but a PhD, you know. To... <laughs> 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 no, but I did want to pick your guys' brains on, on code switching because I find the concept fascinating, but I don't think I know enough about it to actually speak intelligently on it. 
So I think this is Megan's over to you. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure, Megan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wonder what you mean specific, like in the, um, so what Jonathan was talking about was switching in, switching one word, right? Right. That Mm -hmm. wouldn't be code switching. That would be borrowing. Um, yeah. Um, code switching can be at the dialect, dialectal level and at a language level. So you can um, switch between say Spanish and English um, and you'd be co-switching if your um, if the interlocutor um, that you're speaking with also speaks both Spanish and English. So you, you wouldn't be co-switching in Spanish and English to a monolingual English speaker, right? right. So, so people that can co-switch are very good. They, they have such great metalinguistic abilities. And we know that about bilinguals, uh, multilinguals anyway, that y'all have really great, um, metalinguistic skills, you know, what your, what your, what your partner in speech or in sign, um, need and are doing. So speaking in Spanish and English, um, both at the same time, it could be like at the sentence level or at a paragraph level. Those are all different kinds of code switching, but you could also code switch, um, dialectically. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, so, um, say, uh, you have African-American English and you also, um, just have a, a regular, I don't know, like you can also speak Southern English without like the specific mm. of African-American English. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know a situation when, can you think of one, Carrie, where someone might want to use both of those? Well, they're so much, they're more similar than other. Yeah, they're pretty similar. I'd like, so yeah. I would probably choose just standard <laughs> American yeah. English and yeah. say African-American. And yeah, yeah you, you'll definitely hear people switch between them. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there might be a scenario where they would do that. So yeah, it could be, um, but when you're throwing in like one word or when. Right. Yeah. Leave. That's why I wasn't, that's why I wasn't really yeah, sure. Yeah. That was inappropriate. Yeah. But I was actually t- thinking about it in the very beginning when we got started with the podcast, cause we were saying, or one of you was saying, um, that we don't speak in the professional interpreting situation. Like we would speak to our friends or, yeah, or yeah. somewhere else. So that's sort of a code switch into like, yeah, definitely. like you're putting your professional hat on and that's your different. It's kind of like a register switch. Yeah. Yeah. Code switching usually means like you're using two languages in the same sentence rather than switching from one uh, situation to another situation. Although some people use it that way. So like, um, I think the, the podcast code switch, that's really how they're using it. Mm -hmm. They do. Yeah. But linguists. So our jargon we mean it usually within a sentence or maybe like one, from one sentence to another, but you're still speaking to the same person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a, a book that I recently read for linguist list called speak English or what, and it was looking at interpreting in small claims courts in New York city. Ooh. And he was saying that one of the biggest interpreting challenges and procedural challenges there was that the predominant way of using language wasn't monolingualism for the non-native English speakers, they were predominantly code switching. Mm, Now he says, now traditional interpreting ethics has no room for that. (laughs) Traditional court setups have no room for that. The, you know, the the arbitrators in his situation would say, well, if you know the English for this, why do you need an interpreter? Or the interpreters would then do a rendition with the term still in English that they'd heard in English. And it's, now, as an interpreter, code switching is a bit of a nightmare for me because we have to make very quick decisions. And it's, you know, if they've said it in English, should I then drop it in French in my version? Should mm. I, you know, what do I do with this? Because especially reading that book, it's made me realize he had the phrase code switching has always motivated. 
And, yeah. and when you realize that it's motivated, you then have to think, I'm a professional public speaker as well. If it's motivated, what are they doing with this in a kind of Gracian term? Yeah. Um, you sometimes, know, what are they doing with this word? And sometimes, sometimes it's not clear. Sometimes I think, though, it's just that that's the word they remember first. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Like, sometimes it's just an access thing. Mm. Yeah. And not yeah. and not to say that that they don't have... Like, I don't want to, yeah, Carrie's right. It's an access thing. It's not like a lack of knowledge thing. Cause I hate right. when, when we, a lot of people will talk about code switching and they're like, oh, they code switch because they don't have that knowledge or they don't have that information in that language. And it <sighs> might be true. Sometimes but, it's true. But I don't want that to be like the overriding narrative of why people yeah. code switch. I like the access thing much more mm. um, yeah. because a lot of people will frame code switching as a, what is it no, like deficiency not, deficiency yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and usually i mean i think it could be it could sometimes be deficiency like you know word for smartphone maybe you just that's the only one you know is the english one mm. yeah sometimes it's just uh i the english word came to my mind first and sometimes it is motivated like i want to make a point and so that makes it even more complicated because mm. right. what do yes. you do with that mm. Or maybe always like uh, if you have a, a partner that you're speaking with that does have the other language as well, maybe you always say a certain phrase in English because it's just easier in English than in your native language. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think for interpreters, it can sometimes be a lifesaver if you, if you don't have the right, um, the right translation or the right term in your target language, but you still, totally. you have to keep moving, yeah. you know, you'll just throw it in, in the source language and be done with it. Yeah. Well, yeah. also, also we use it in our house. I have my wife is a fluent German speaker, and I'm have little bits. <laughs> and sometimes I will ask her something in what is basically pidgin German, um, mm-hmm. when I don't want our children to understand what I'm asking. <laughs> so it's, apparently, sometimes I get it grammatically correct, and other times she says she has to think really hard to work out where I've made the mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's it, it's this idea of you know we've all come across the access problem. We've all come across issues and it, it's working out what is it doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, although I know Grice has been massively criticized in places, I think he, there's a lot going for the way that he talks about, I mean, the very title of his book, how to do things with words. There's <laughs> something about what he was trying to get us to understand. I think as linguists and as interpreters, fundamentally that's what we're doing. And that's what the people that we're working with and studying with are doing all the time. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, picking words out of a dictionary, they are making meaning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's so important to understand. It's interesting that the book called it code switching. So you do think that what they were doing was code switching? It wasn't like, it wasn't actually, in this case, a deficiency issue? Well, he, 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 he was very keen to not, to basically not to get only give the deficiency issue as much ground as the data suggested it was a deficiency. That's good. And, and so his argument was that actually there, from what he could tell from their ordinary everyday life, they were living in code switching and code mixing. Mm-hmm. So his argument was, if this is what they're doing every day, why would court be any different? And, yeah. he's, and he says yeah. there, are, there are times when the English term for whatever the, you know, if it was a dispute about housing, the English term rental agreement might be more accessible than the Spanish or the Turkish or whatever, because mm. that's on the piece of paper they signed. Exactly. But on the other hand, there may be a case where they're just doing that because they're disagreeing with the way the interpreter is interpreting their case. And so uh, they'll code mm-hmm. mix to clarify, no, it's not a this, it's a that. Right. Do any and of y'all do court? You Do you have to be specifically trained to do court? Yes. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think it makes you also sense. have to be insane. I like. I wonder about because I'm very interested in how court interpretation happens because it's so important, especially with all the immigration issues that we have in the United States. Yeah. There are people that are from Guatemala that speak indigenous languages that we don't have anyone that can interpret for yes. them. Right, and it's a really big issue. Um, yes. and I wonder if it's ever happened to y'all where you're supposed to interpret, but someone uses a language that you don't know. Does that ever happen? Mm-hmm. Like maybe you're interpreting <laughs> yeah. French and then they bring in another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happens. But maybe we can actually put you in touch with Judy Jenner, who was on our last yeah. episode, because she does a lot of court interpreting in Las Vegas huh. for English and Spanish. Ooh, so, oh, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> and, she, and she is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, but it's funny because, and this is another thing that I have read, she wrote a book with her twin sister. And when I met them in person, it was really strange because have you ever felt that someone's voice when they're writing sounded different to the voice when they were speaking? Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it was really yeah. strange how my internal voice of what the Jenner twins sounded like did <laughs> not sound what like the way they actually sound. Hmm. That, that's a that's a whole other topic. Sorry, I'm, I'm <laughs> we, we do have a we do have a script somewhere. Yeah, um, I, I was going to say because we you know language policy and official languages that is a it kind of comes into that a little bit with courts trying to say mm-hmm. you know you'd in this country speak this language. I'm fascinated mm-hmm. by the Quebec case. One, one, for one reason, because when I was living in France and I first heard uh, a Quebecois person speaking on TV, I literally asked the guy I was staying with, why is that American speaking 100-year-old French? <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, but it's good um, that you picked up on that, because when I heard Quebecois for the first time, I didn't understand a single word. And I technically <laughs> knew French at that point. But it's the strange thing because on the one hand, I can understand why if you're a minoritized group, why fixing language policy would be really important because Mm -hmm. there would be, I mean, there are still tensions in uh, metropolitan France over we don't want to lose our distinctiveness as the French speaking people. And so they have the Académie Française and they say things and everyone ignores them. Um, (laughs) But it's fun. Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, we are not going to say la toile d'araignée mondiale. No one's ever going to say that for World Wide Web. Um, <laughs> but it, it's it's this thing of um, almost the, if you like, the colonial language policy only makes real political sense if you're a minority group. Um, yeah. Because then there is turf that is realistically under threat. I mean, if, if, if a, a UK English academy came out, it would be hilarious because the main threat to UK English is UK English speakers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has to do with power. So if you have all the power, you don't need to create a bunch of things to save your language. Right. It's ridiculous. But yet, but yet they do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They're trying. Well, they try, but it's yeah. not, it's not, there's nothing quite like the French versions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Spanish is pretty terrible too with their academy. Okay, maybe. Hey, is there, is oh, there the an Académie Québécois? Because that would be, I would love there to be an Académie Québécois. Mm, I don't think there's, Québécoise. well, maybe there is. I, sh- <laughs> I shouldn't say this, but the, there are very strong laws about what you are allowed to put on your menus or on your signage in Quebec. Yeah. So, for example, um, in uh, there was a pet shop in Napierville. Oh, it's probably, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. I apologize. Um, in Quebec. We'll, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> Napierville. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, Napierville, Quebec. Um, The episode was literally called Pastigate. 
And there's my Canadian accent. <laughs> Uh, oh, pasta! I got you. I got you. <laughs> so there's an agency. Uh, there is a French language watchdog agency. I don't know what it's called, but uh-huh. um, a, there's a parrot in this place in this pet shop. A parrot, <laughs> and it refused to speak French. Get out! <laughs> so that was the first one, and then the second one was pasta gate, where an Italian restaurant used the word pasta instead of translating it into French and I don't even know what the word for uh, pasta is in French. Pat. They got mad at that. Yeah. They're also trying to like stop people from say bonjour hi in Montreal <laughs> and just say bonjour. And it's just like, well, Montreal is really the only truly bilingual city in Canada, at least like of, of the big ones. And you're trying to make it only French. So uh, didn't you do an episode uh, about swearing in Quebecois as well? Or was that another podcast? I mean, getting my podcast mixed up now. We did a, an episode on swearing and we included some stuff on French, Quebecois French, because it's so fun. Yeah. Tabernacle. Tabernacle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tabernacle. I love it. Yeah, it's so good. I, I would, I would almost expect that to be Utah swearing. <laughs> yeah. Except they're not Catholic. Is that a Catholic thing? Yeah. Tabernacle. But Tabernacle yeah. is just part of Mormon Christianity. Tabernacle. Yeah. yeah. In you fact, I think it's even part of Judaism for should because I think it's yes, like Old it Testament. Yeah. Yes, it is. Okay. But I mean, I, I think this is the thing of the. Um, I'm aware sometimes. You know, I was telling the guys on a previous episode. Um, there was a, a a very recent job where we had an Irish trade union, female Irish trade unionist, who was speaking in really um, street English. Uh-huh. And it was a really funny thing because French trade unionists, as a rule, tend to act and talk like many philosophers, whereas British trade unionists, as a very general stereotype, tend to pride themselves on being guys who are still on the shop floor. And mm-hmm. so already when you have these two groups in a room, you have a cultural difference with within a shared political ecosystem. And this Irish speaker got up and spoke really street well quite street english Colloquial. and said you, you know um the the way I, I the british government have dealt with such and such is disgusting <laughs> and my booth mate did what i thought was a brilliant translation choice but a, a french delegate came up to her afterwards and, and basically said in french we don't say that word here we say scandaleux <laughs> which is like you know three shades <laughs> less mm. than than disgusting especially the way that she said it and it's one of these things is is we're always operating in between worlds and i sometimes forget how important the kind of official french is for french speakers um even those who might take the mick out of the academie there's still a pride in proper lovely french that's Mm -hmm. not necessarily they're the same for from native English speakers, and it's reminding myself sometimes that actually the formulation there is as important as the, the content of what's said, even if that means thinking of how this would reformulate into their world. By the way, I found out what the name of the watchdog is. What is it? The office is uh, Quebecois de la langue française. Oh, okay. Uh, Does it have a nice office? acronym? Pardon? <laughs> Does it have a nice acronym? QLF. Ah, but they use office and not bureau. Wow. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. And they're going wow. after parrots. 
That's their job. Are they proud and of that? Pasta. They're going to change your name to parrots and pasta. <laughs> when you first said parrot, I thought you said pirate, and I would thought oh. we were going in a completely different direction. I'm just imagining people walking into the office after listening to this podcast and being like, are you proud of yourself? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, it recently allowed grilled cheese, softball, and drag queen to be acceptable French words in Quebec. Oh, really? <laughs> really? Well, there you go. Le drag queen does sound like you would hear it in Paris. Mm. Yeah. But shouldn't it be la? La drag queen, yeah. I know, there's a... Mm. With, with a cigarette in them. You know, <laughs> just circling back to the stereotypes. Okay. Can I answer that question? Anyway? But I think, but I think on that note, on la drag queen or le drag queen and la drag queen, which <laughs> what which one we say where? I think we should probably That's start true. wrapping it up because yes. this kind of like encapsulates everything from French and Quebec and the gender and That's right. different. I think it's a it's a good time. Um, I yeah. was wondering if you guys wanted to maybe just each of you say one little takeaway that you had it could be comedic could be fun could be nothing but just like one little thing because i thought this was a really interesting episode that was yeah. all over the place in yeah. the best way possible <laughs> exactly this is gonna take so much energy. no like i really mean it <laughs> no, I think messy. if i can just go if i can just go first i had a great time so this was really a great discussion and um like almost a discussion that you would have in, in the pub, I guess. So, mm. so no, that's that's how we like to think of ourselves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but what what I find so great is that is that there, there really seems to be a, a whole scene of language related podcasts. I mean, some some have been around for a long time, like um, the World of Words, for example, which has been around for a long time. And it's just so great to see that there are so many podcasts, you know, looking at language from so many different angles. And then sometimes um, it's just so great to see when uh, they kind of come together, like you did this crossover episode with the um, two ladies from Lingthusiasm with Gretchen and Lauren, which is um, also a fantastic uh, podcast if you're interested in, well, linguistics, I guess. Um, you should definitely check that out. So that, that would be my comment. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot, and I knew once, I forgot how important y'all are, interpreters. Um, and I think about in America, um, the Civil Rights Act of 1965 and how it made it so that um, we, you, you have a right to an interpreter if you don't speak English. Mm-hmm. And it's really important. Um, did I get that right, Carrie? That's in that act, right? I don't know. Why are you um, asking me? <laughs> no, no, I think you're right, Megan. I think okay, you're right. Okay. Yeah. I'm saying something so definitively and with so much confidence, like a stupid American. Everybody would have told totally <laughs> Yeah, you just have to own it. No, I'm, I mean, shout out to 1965 Civil Rights Act anyway, but I'm yeah. pretty sure that's what, you know, we have the right to interpreter <laughs> if we don't speak English. That's it's right. really important. Um, and it really means a lot to me that, wow, I, I almost got kind of sad. And Aww. like, like 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 compassionate. Um, yeah. Sorry. No, but it's really important work. I know y'all are in America doing it, but people like you in America are doing it, and <laughs> and you're doing good work where you are. <laughs> Great things. <laughs> <laughs> what an important and practical thing you're doing. <laughs> thank you. Thank we you for the pandering. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a 
Ter pandering, nope. Well, I mean, she is wearing a headphone. I feel like that's very much pandering to what we do on a day. <laughs> <laughs> although, although me. it should only be on one ear if you're in a that's, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> But Carrie, you were going to say. Yeah, that reminds me. I, I meant to say this way earlier in the conversation, but I had to look up what terp meant. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Yeah. It's lingo. <laughs> Jargon. I, it makes total sense once you know, but yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was like, just troubled some interpreters was a mouthful, so. Yeah. I mean, no, it, don't, it totally works. It's just, yeah, something we don't know. And y'all seem to be into alliteration, so. <laughs> I guess so. Like, Puns. boys in the booth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when they were going to release an album of the three of us trying to sing. Oh, my God. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> Christmas next year. No, um, I think what I took away from it is well, I took two things away from it because I can never do one thing. There's always two things um, with you. Yeah, it's always <laughs> two. One of the things I took away from it is language is weird. Mm-hmm. And language yeah. is probably weird because people are weird. Yeah. Um, and the second thing I took away from it is the language is far more than words. Um and to, to realize that every day what we're doing is we are creating and recreating language every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we realize that that's what's going on every single day, it's actually exciting and worrying in the same level. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm just glad to see so many, other, so many other people looking at language and going, this mm-hmm. is just strange. <laughs> you know, um, there's a saying that scientific discoveries don't start with, um, look, I've discovered that they all start with oops. Um, and you know if you don't look at language and go oops you're probably not looking hard enough yes Yes. and sometimes you have to look at it in the lab I'm just saying (laughs) oh nice (laughs) (laughs) I did did joke recently that the uh, the first rule of field linguistics club is that all interesting languages happen near sunny beaches (laughs) (laughs) oh that's what I did wrong so all my field work well not all of it I I did most of my field work in like either northern north Vancouver which is just across the water from Vancouver. Is it actual else... fields? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Barely counted. I took the sea bus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I was in the Arctic. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, uh, I went the wrong direction. I should have learned some Spanish and gone down to <laughs> Mexico. Or yeah. I, I'm going to redo I, next time. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did my field work in the south of England and in Bonn in Germany. Mm. And Germans still think I'm really weird that I love Bonn. Every I was, did you yeah. see my face? I was like, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry to all my colleagues in Bonn. It's a beautiful city and I love all of you. Yeah. We'll, we'll cut this out. At least it's yeah. not Frankfurt. <laughs> oh, oh, here's the dissing. <laughs> my <Mike> drop. <laughs> Alex, is that your takeaway? <laughs> Who doesn't like a takeaway Frankfurt? Though? I hate exactly. that takeaway mm. years ago. No, actually, my takeaway was... was um, for everyone who knows me knows that I'm not, or everyone who knows me knows that I'm not a very theoretical person. I'm not really into like research or stuff like that. My <laughs> masters, I think my masters yes. ruined me for life because that was the worst experience I've ever had writing that thesis. Ooh, but it's a whole nother episode right there. Talking mm-hmm. to you. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> we need to get discussing my PTSD. <laughs> yeah. Writing. No, but actually talking to you guys made me really interested in a few of those more theoretical um, aspects of linguistics. 
And I know yeah. Jonathan is probably like jumping up and down here. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> I know. So yeah, I'm gonna do Join some us. more reading. <laughs> some more reading, and wow. I will never do a PhD. So that's out of the question. But no, nope. yeah, don't, don't, <laughs> yeah. don't. <laughs> don't. <laughs> um, so I, what I took away from this is that I don't know. The, the, I already knew this. There's so many things that we can talk about with language, with linguistic discrimination, with how we think about the meaning of a sentence and how to translate that into another language and and how that's not ever going to be exactly 100%. Be, mm. Because even though I am a very formal linguist, so I am like all about the math, <laughs> I still recognize that obviously there's much more going on when, when we use language. And I just, I love it all. I am such a language nerd. Yeah. So thank you for having us on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank wait. you for having us. Thank you for yes. having us on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> for being on wait, wait. Let's do it properly so that we can cut it up. <laughs> this is going to be like a, a, a really cool thing because have you ever looked at those um, stereoscopic images that are slightly different in each eye and they look 3D? Yeah. Mm-hmm. My theory is you guys are going to cut it up one way. Alex is going to cut it up another. And together they'll be like this 3D body. I'm not sure I can do that. It sounds great though. (laughs) Podcast title I wanted was Boys in the Booth. Troublesome Interpreters was a mouthful. One day we're going to release an album of the three of us trying to sing. That only works in the UK. I love it. The drag queen does sound like you would hear it in Paris. There's nothing quite like the French version. Just, well, you know, because I'm yeah. German and weird. <laughs> That's what you call a tautology.